Coming up on the Middle Class VO Podcast. I don't know what I'm going to say. So when the words come out, there's little stutters and little things that, that make it sound natural and real. And when you're doing a conversational read, you need that stuff. You don't need it to dominate, but you need it like spice in there to make it sound conversational and real. If you need it, you're learning we're just an email away. Corporate narration, tell us what to say. Explain our video, imaging radio, sling and local cars, read an IVR. No, we ain't no stars. This is the Middle Class VO Podcast. The Middle Class We are so excited to have on the Middle Class VO podcast uh, for the first time. He's he's an he's new to the program, the improvisate improvisational wizard and coach Scott Parkin. Scott, how are you, man? Uh, I'm good. Did you improv improvisate <laughs> that opening? Oh yeah. <laughs> I am stumbling all over myself I, I, because I'm nervous to be in such excellence. That's the problem. Yes, I'm sure we are. We're all quarantined, isolated, and nervous. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. We won't know what to do when we get out with people, that's for sure. Recently, a buddy of mine, I'm, I'm an on-camera actor as well, and they ask you when you audition for on-camera stuff, they say, you know, if you have a beard, would you be willing to shave your beard? That kind of thing. So he was like, yes, I'm willing to shave. Yes, I'm willing to stand next to people. Yes, I'm willing to be in proximity and speak with other humans in public. So it's it's going to be different when we go back, for sure. Well, Scott, let's give you a, a proper intro. Scott Parkin left to be a part of a morning radio show when he was uh, 21 years old. He's been improvising uh, in voiceover and TV since then. He's written copy. He is a director. He's a coach. And he does all these amazing things. He's taught uh, newbies. He teaches veterans. And uh, we're just so excited to have him on board the Middle Class VO podcast today. So that's Scott Parkin in a nutshell. Scott, tell us your side (laughs) of the story. How 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 did you get involved in all this? Well, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate you bringing the attention and having the courage to say what other podcasts won't say. What they won't tell you is the dirty underbelly of just what we're doing coming tonight. Uh, no, um, gosh, what's the other side of the story? I, you know, I started in radio when I was 21. I left college to work in uh, in morning radio. Oh, got an email. That's great news. Uh so, job. <laughs> oh, hey, there's a sale at Hot Topic. That's weird. I only nice. Get, I only get one of those every 35 seconds because of my daughter. Um, you know, I started working in radio and, and did that for 11, 12 years and then morphed into doing voiceover and improvisation and and on-camera commercials and then um, writing writing for different ad, ad companies as a freelance guy and wrote for television and... Um, for CBS and I work on pilots and doing a lot of zoom teaching and coaching now. And I have an AT&T radio spot running called smart house. And I said, nice. it like they say, Steve Holt on um, arrested development for my daughter. So, and um, I have a tide commercial that's running on television where I'm a, Oh yeah. I'm a grand <laughs> grandpa with a, I'm, I'm a gilf. That's what I like. <laughs> I love it. I will not ask you yeah, what that means because I, I know what it means. But yeah, Google I, it. Google it. Yeah. Bobby, help him. I used to live in a town called Milford, and I never lived it down. 
It was named after Bobby. There are worse things than being called a MILF. Oh That's my right. gosh. That's right. I, I was fortunate to be called a DILF not too long ago. <laughs> right? Yeah, that one too. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. DILF. <laughs> oh no, he didn't. Scott, what's the difference between taking an improv class and taking an acting class? An acting class will probably focus more on scripted material and character work within that. An improv class teaches you how to improvise without a script. Now, I think think both are, I think one really, really helps the other, especially in today's voiceover world. If if you're not a good actor, I always say, I'm actually right, I'm almost done with my book. All right, I'm three quarters of the way done. It's called... um, uh, take two seconds off and put the smile back in thriving and surviving in commercial voiceover. And in that book, I say voice acting is two words. And the second word is at least as important as the first word. So if you are, if you aren't a good actor, it's difficult to compete in today's marketplace because there is so much acting involved in voice acting in voice acting. We, you know, you, you just don't get costumes and lighting and special effects and everything. All you have is your voice. So if you want to communicate any sort of emotion, and that emotion can be, hey, right now you can get five of those for just $8. If you want to do any sort of communication, you have to be able to act and to use your voice. That makes sense? Are you guys dead? What happened? <laughs> we were just enthralled. <laughs> Hanging on your every word. I don't think legally you guys are supposed to be enthralled within six feet of each other right now. <laughs> I don't know. Did I answer your question? That that uh, improvisation is, you know, non-scripted stuff and, and an acting class will probably focus more on scripted material. Like out here, they'll have CSI scripts and different um, um, different scripts from dramas. And you and you go to an acting class and you will study a script and you'll do scene study and work on character. And in an improv class, you learn how to think on your feet and respond and uh, always agree and move forward and build a scene with no script. Because yeah, I think a lot of uh, voice actors, especially people just getting into the biz, they hear, you know, you should take an improv class and they just freak out. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's no way. Yeah, it's the scary. It's it's incredibly scary for people. Mm. So one of my favorite things to do, um, and and we're, we're going to do it next next year at Vio Atlanta, is is demystifying that because there's there's so many things you you can do to hedge your bet and set yourself up for a nice high percentage choice in improvisation. For me, character is king. If you're in a and again, the character can be. You know, tonight on ABC, Fallon's got, you know, it can be all of it. Unless if you get a script and it's exactly who you are, then you're not playing a character. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, everything else you're playing is a character. That's Mm -hmm. just the fact of it. And for me, the best comedy comes out of character work. If you think of any of the Christopher Guest films, um, Waiting for Guffman or Best in Show or, or any of those, all of, or his series Family Tree, um, all of that great comedy comes out of character, and that's really what we work on in improv is finding those characters. And once you commit to the character, 
Like if I start talking like this, I know, Bobby, exactly where I'm going to go. It's going to be harsh. It's going to be rough. And it's going to be right across the freaking bridge of the nose. So if I go into a character, it writes itself. Because if I start talking like this, I know I'm going to say stuff like, dude, are you going to eat that? Because I have had like three tacos and that is not enough. <laughs> it will drive itself and it becomes more organic. That's interesting, but so true. Wow. That's scab worthy. How did you get into all the improv? Was it directly, uh, you know, a result of having that radio training and you said, I got to fix this? It was a, it was a legal thing and a part of a work release program for a murder. <laughs> but once I, once I did sing, sing, sing at the Arizona Correctional Institute, they saw my work. No, um, I, I, um, uh, I came out of radio and I met um, guys with four to five doctors in Dallas. My first big radio gig was mornings at KZEW in Dallas. And mm-hmm. I saw I'd, I'd done stand up and I, you know, I had 20 minutes I could do. And I opened for Emo Phillips and Dennis Miller and mm-hmm. all that. But mm-hmm. once I once I found improv with four to five doctors and Tom Blackwood and Ed Yeager, I never wanted to do stand up again. It's just so much more exciting to be up there with no net and no one's going to come get you and every pore in your body opens up and you got to, you know, 400 people out there going, okay, what do you got? Um, there's, it's just such a rush. There's just nothing like it. So I started then, I would say that would have been 1996, 95 in there in Dallas. And, and that's, you know, for, for me, I improv was the king for me. And, and, and I, you know, I've, I've held on to that and I teach it to kids. I teach it to adults and I do it, you know, whenever I get a chance to be in a film, a lot of what you see on me on film, the new 420 movie that was out, there's a good 50% of it that's improv. In pilots, hotel security, it's probably 80% improv. So I, I, I really like Im- improvising, and I have a lot of improv heroes. Um, Mark Evan Jackson, who's on The Good Place, is one of my good friends, and a huge, I'm just a huge fan of his improvisation. Gary Anthony Williams was on... Boston legal and he was uh, one of the, the the neighbor kids dad and Malcolm in the middle and he's a brilliant improviser and to watch watch brilliant improv is just so it you just it's it just boggles the mind there's a show right now on the guy from uh gosh what's his name he's the guy from Silicon Valley the lead actor he also had a big run in commercials he and a partner do two-man improv long-form improv Wow! And they did a, They did about forty-five minutes just them, and it it's it boggles my mind to keep that kind of organization in your head, to keep all the characters you're playing straight. It's it's I love it. it it's it's gives me a big rush to watch good improv. Also, it's cringing and awful to watch bad improvisation. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it as well. I mean, you know, not at a level you are, obviously, but uh, I was signed up for you in Atlanta, you know, until this COVID mess. Um, But I have taken uh, many classes, many hours here in Nashville. We have a nice uh, improv troupe here in Nashville. And uh, it totally changed my mindset about auditioning. And it just like it it was freeing. And it's just like, 
wow, Kev, you can do this. You could just do be whoever you want to. Don't worry about the script, especially if your direction is conversational, real. Forget the script. Do you know what these improvisers say? And, and how much did that help you, Scott, booking? You know, thanks, Kevin. I'm so glad you stepped up the plate and said, be serious. Jump in with both feet. Wear wings. Do what you want. Be you. You know what I'm saying? Five, six, seven, eight. We go on in two days if you two aren't ready. Um, uh, it, helps me, it helps me a lot. Now, I always ask this question in voiceover, and I'm going to throw it to you guys. What is improvisation when you're doing voiceover? Oh, it's, uh, you know, uh, telling about... Ten seconds before we go to a break. Ding, 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 ding. It's the backstory. <laughs> it's everything that happens before the script starts. Yeah, it's it's uh, reading that script and and where you want to go and and what your character is and who you're going who you who your uh, audience is. Those are lovely things. Those are good things and important things. Neither of them are correct. <laughs> no, it's a, it's from a very technical standpoint. Improvisation when we're in a thirty to sixty second spot is anything we say that isn't on the script. Okay. Anything that isn't on the script is improvisation. Does improvisation always have to be funny? No. No. So if I say, wow, I huh, I never thought of it that way. Olive Garden really would be a nice place. If I, if, wow, huh, wasn't on the script, that's improvising. And what you're doing there is improvising to strengthen the conversational read and make it sound more real. So you know, if you add on a 30 second script, if you add three to five words, that's a lot. You know, any more than that, you're going to start editorializing and changing the, the copy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You add words and sounds and what I call yips and hollers to like, oh, wow. You don't want to go full Bob Newhart on the I. Well, no, you you shouldn't. I I wasn't. No, no. You had said. I, <laughs> Listen, I mean, you're not going to go full on like that, but those little, because here's the thing. Can I cuss? Yes. Of course. So nobody knows what the fuck they're going to say. <laughs> you can ask me a question and I have a, a basic idea. If you ask me, hey, what's it like with the beach reopening? I'm going to say, it, you know, it's good. There's a red tide right now and it's a little walled up because uh, it, it's blown out in the afternoons. But to get back in the water after two months off was just in incredible. I don't know what I'm going to say. So when the words come out, there's little stutters and little things that, that make it sound natural and real. And when you're doing a conversational read, you need that stuff. You don't need it to dominate, but you need it like spice in there to make it sound conversational and real. There's effects. Well, we were talking, you know, you said it's not necessarily about comedy all the time. In this in this COVID age, you have all these spots that are like, oh, we're all in this together. You mean in this unprecedented times where we'll get through this together? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're here for you. <laughs> we played we played a drinking game the other night with my friends, and anytime someone said unprecedented times or anything <laughs> like that, everyone had to take a shot. <laughs> I love You're it. On the floor, but no. I mean, how would you change that up to 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 work in a, a script like that? I would improvise honest words, real words. Like the truth is, you know, if, if, if it didn't have, you know, look, I, I would add, look, it's important that we all stay together. 
it's important that we realize what we're doing and why and who we're doing it for. You know, I would, imp- I would, you know, you're not going to add a lot of stuff, but you're going to add words that are honest, grounded and real and fit with the character. It all goes back to character. If your voiceover starts like this, at no point are you going to go, whoa, right? <laughs> You're always going to be right here in this area. And if that yeah. takes you, if that goes up for a while and then it goes down like that, then that's what it does. Because that's what it does. We're going to do what we've always done because we do it this way. We're going to still do it just like this because we're here to do this for you. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're selling, Scott, but I'm buying. <laughs> Let me come up with something I could sell. Well, speaking of coming up with something, in just a few minutes, perhaps you've heard of our cold read challenge that we do. I've got a special one for you, Scott, if you are willing to do it here in just a couple of minutes. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'm not a big reader, but I'll sound out the words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is going to be right up your alley. So, Scott, what is the until we get that? What is the most rewarding or most satisfying part of your career? Is it the teaching? Is it the performing? What is it? Boy, that that is just so tough because I have uh, I'm, I'm I built a commercial on camera commercial and improvisation uh, class at Gray Studios, and I have you know these days I'm meeting with 25 kids over two days every week and watching them level some of this comedy. Um, is just thrilling and watching a kid book a national commercial is thrilling. Is it as thrilling as, as when my daughter books something? No, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is thrilling. I, I would say, I would, oh God, there's just no way to answer that. Watching it, watching a kid do something that they, or, or an adult do something that they had no idea that they could do. And just being thrilled with that and conquering the fear of it and going, oh, yeah, I just, I can play the, I, you know, I'm going to act like that guy across the street sounds that I do an impression of and that's fine and it works and and I, I can do this, that kind of thing. There's just nothing like that as a, my mom was a teacher for 35 years and first and second grade and special ed and has a master's degree in that. And so I come from teachers. We got probably 15, 20 teachers in my family. So I would say teaching is a big reward, but my best friend writing a sitcom based on my life and selling that to CBS and that getting on the air and winning the people's choice award. That was pretty damn cool too. Wow. Yeah. It's watch watching him up there, accept the, the award for the thing that he wrote about my life struggling and raising my daughter by myself was, you know, there's just nothing like that. Wow. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know. I can't answer. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of rewarding stuff in your career. So that's, there is. it it, It goes along with the heartbreaking soul crushing that show. Gary unmarried was on CBS. We won the People's Choice Award. We won our time slot against the new adventures of old Christine every week. And we were fired from our own show that was about me. Gary Unmarried was you? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't realize it either. <laughs> it was based on my life, but not so much so as that someone would sue because she certainly would have. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it goes, you know, and and then my daughter being up for a role on Disney's Jack and the Beanstalk 
and getting to the third callback with producers and coming out saying, dad, I improvised and they had to stop because they were laughing too hard and it busted it down. And then nearly having her get that. And then the whole project being shit canned, that was even worse than missing something myself. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's There's so many near misses that it's, um, it, you know, part, I, I, I'd say to everybody, it's part of, in the book. Part of our job is staying up and not letting it get to you and crush your soul to where you can't even read. I mean, I've been in auditions when it's been going really poorly and you're, you're trying to read something and you're like, fuck this money was spent eight months ago. You're like, right, right now you can get five of those and the chicken sandwich is really good. It's got a special sauce and it's on a toasty bun. <laughs> our, job, our job is to stay up and put that shit out of mind and, and lean into it. And um, that's, it's, it's, that's one of the toughest things of the job is the near miss. The, geez, I missed out on the $100,000 national car spot or the... It was between me and two other guys for the voice of NBC. And one of the guys had sued NBC for $75,000. So they had already said, yeah, it's just really Scott and the other guy. And then the guy that sued got it. And he's still still the guy. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. And you can't get into the the minutia of it. Yeah. Um, It'll eat your lunch. It'll just eat your lunch. So you got to... uh, the great John Stapleton, Stapleton, gosh, I'm, I'm, it's been a while. <laughs> he played Mr. Slate uh, and the Flintstones and did every other voice. Yeah, John yeah. West, John Singleton. When I got to ICM in 98, I was, I heard him talk and I was like, oh my God, my childhood in a Rolodex in front of me, you know, every Flintstones episode, every Johnny Quest episode. And he goes, hey, you just do it and flush it. you walk away, do the audition and walk away and don't think about it. And that's what I strive for. It's tough. It's tough to do that when they're big and you need the dough, but it really is the best way to do it. Be pleasantly surprised as, as opposed to constantly disappointed. Ooh, that's catchy. That's going on the t-shirts, I think. No kidding. <laughs> Tell us more. Scott, what's wrong with the voiceover industry? What's, what's wrong with it? Yeah, I would say the biggest threat is uh, the spi- the downward spiral, uh, downward spiral of rates. I would say that's the biggest threat to people making a living at it because big corporations will always pay the least amount that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. That's that's why, as a union guy, you know we're we're all pitching in to try and negotiate with these multi billion dollar companies to try and get fair wages and healthcare for, for our guys. Um, because, and, and union scale is basically what non-union stuff is negotiated on. So it's important that even non-union people hold the line at the highest level they can get until they can join the union, but they really do, you know, they really, they, they will pay $5 for a voiceover. Oh yeah. And another thing that people don't, that people don't understand is when they hand, when they say, hey, this is a $3,000, you know, car commercial and $3,000 is a chunk of change. And it's, that's like, that's, you know, that's substantial. It's a $25,000 spot if it was union. And when you get your $3,000 and it's up on the internet, 
it's up there in perpetuity. You don't have any recourse. So you've now taken yourself out of uh, the car category because Lincoln doesn't want the, the guy that's, you know, you can mm-hmm. still hear on a commercial on YouTube somewhere um, for another car company. It's not a, it's not a legal non-compete. It's not like they can say, Oh, you, you can't have this because you did that. There's no legal. It's just a choice. They don't have to choose you guy. That's got the, the $3,000 Lincoln commercial because they, they got other people they can choose. They can choose somebody who's not currently voicing a car commercial. So if that happens and you take three to five grand for a car spot and you do the same for the, a phone and maybe a bank, you're out of the three largest categories of advertising in perpetuity. As long as that commercial is up there on the internet, your odds of booking the big national campaign are gone. You know, they're just flatline. They don't have to hire somebody who's already on another commercial that's on the internet. In a, in a union thing, we have contracts. There's, you know, it's two years and then you got to renegotiate or kill it and start again, which they do all the time. But anyway, I mean, look, I, I get it. I, I, it's, it's a very difficult, and I would say you don't have to join the union when you start out, but I hope that you will join the union because it is a race to the bottom. They will, the, if you look at the non-union rates, they're not going up. They're going down because they can. Mm-hmm. They're always going to, and, and the union has finally pulled their head out of their ass and are a lot easier to work with. And hey, if you run this on the internet, it's only going to be this much. And if it runs for a week and you kill it, that's fine. You don't have to pay for 13 weeks. They're bending over backward to try and figure out how to, how to adapt to this. I, I, did, uh, I did an episode of Grace and Frankie last, uh, last season, and it was just fantastic. I saw you on that, by the way. Oh, that's cool. I, have to go I back did. And look. You were, uh, weren't you like a pizza guy or something or at the restaurant? The guy that said, sorry, folks, we're all out of snow crab. I had one line and I, and I got two days of work and I got to work with Lily and Jane and I was thrilled. Um, but, but there are no residuals on that. It's a one time, it's a buyout on Netflix. So okay. that's it. I, it's a, it's a good day rate, but if it was on the network show and it ran again, I would make another three grand and that just won't happen. So you just get it one, you know, it's just, it's a changing world. The union has to change. And, um, I would say the thing that's, that there's nothing really wrong with voiceover. It's just, there are some troubling trends that will see the, the quality of, of living that someone can make. I don't know that someone's going to be able to make a living like, like I have and have a, uh, a house and, and, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to exist in 10 years for the amount of people that it exists for now. You know what I mean? I completely yeah. get that. Yeah. There's always going to be, you know, in a time when people changed in a world, you know, there's always going to be big voiced announcers that can make a big chunk of money. But for the longest time from I don't know, 85 to say 2005, there was a fair amount of people that could make a decent middle-class living in voiceover. And I think that number is going down. I would say that's the problem. I don't understand how a lot of my friends who live in L.A. and New York or in VO can – how they're cutting it because 
the cost of living. Uh, like I said, you have to do everything you possibly can. I write for, I'm a freelance joke writer for four camera sitcoms. I teach, I Skype teach to different voiceover actors all over the world every week. I teach a weekly improv and on-camera commercial class to kids. I, you know, I do whatever I can to supplement and keep, you know, you have to have multiple sources of income yeah. and you gotta, you gotta keep going at it in different angles. I do industrials. If they want me to stand in front of something, I, I used to model, but I was never the chiseled guy. I was always the, the guy standing in a doctor's coat or with a dolly lifting a box or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you gotta, you know, you, you've got to hit it from every angle that you can in order to maintain your freedom. When you don't have the freedom, like if you have to take a, a job job that doesn't allow you to go, oh, geez, I have a three-hour gig um, Wednesday from 11 to 2. If you can't take that job because of your job, then you're severely limited in how much progress you can make in voiceover. As long as you have a job that can allow that allows you to go, Hey, I need three hours in the middle of the day when you book something, then you can you can pull it off. And a lot of people do. A lot of the people that I'm coaching do a lot of industrial stuff. They do, mm -hmm. they want to break into commercials, and that's why they're working with me. And I I'll tell you right now, anybody that that hears this and that mentions the middle class podcast will get the family rate nice. for uh for uh uh, Zoom classes, or I'm sorry, Skype, Skyping or Zooming, or I don't know, carrier pigeons, soup cans. I don't f care. The point is, uh, I you got to hit it from every angle. And any of your listeners that want to jump in and do a couple of classes, I would say uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm available. It's it's a little packed right now, but I'll take on some new students if they want to jump in. Where can where can they go to Scott if they want to? Oh, gosh. Uh, catch me on America's Commercial Actor on Facebook is a great place. I have, I have a couple different pages there um, or on my regular Facebook page. Or they can email me at C like in cat gravy, G-R-I-V-Y at me, M-E dot com. Perfect. Well, let's do this, Scott. I just sent over an email to C gravy at me dot com. And it has the cold read challenge. The cold read challenge is where you don't look at the script. You just basically open it up, look at the direction, and dive right in. And yours is a little bit different, but you get to you get to kind of look at this because of the nature of uh, the cold read challenge today. So w whenever you're ready, just please read aloud the direction and then dive in. Cold read challenge. All right, hang on one second. I'm pulling it up. And I want to get it closer over to the mic. Uh, Scott Scooter Park and Cold Read Challenge. Improvise a PSA on the underground world of cat juggling. And we're going to lay in a little... I will remember you. All right. <clears throat> the old Steve Martin from The Jerk, The Cat Juggling. Yep. <laughs> All right. Copy points. Juggling is bad. We're against it. You should be too. All right. So that's the, is that the line? Well, that's the gist. You just want me to Im improvise? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, hold on one second. Sure. Take your time. <laughs> <clears throat> Let me, uh, I'm actually stalling trying to come up with uh, the right song to put behind this. 
I don't think he knew that we were going to be doing this, Kev. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> this is the Cold Read Challenge challenge. <laughs> Say action. Action. A lot of folks don't think about it the way they used to. In the beginning, cat juggling was cool. It's just something you did to fit in, right? <laughs> Times have changed. We know more. We understand more. And we've got to stop it. Stop it in town. Stop it in the rural areas. Stop it near the beach. Cat juggling. It isn't cool anymore. Brought to you by the people against cat juggling. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's yes. it, man. Oh, that's the wacky improvisational skills of Scott Scooter parking right there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fun, you guys. I really dig your show. Congratulations on your big win. It was nice to see you. Oh, thanks well, so much. Well, next year we want to hang with you because I remember being at the past two Sobus Awards. You were in this little group of people that were just erupting in laughter like every five seconds. And I said, I want to go to that party. <laughs> Whenever you bring edibles to one of those, it's really always. <laughs> it's legal now because it's medicine. Yes, it's medicine. You know, if you've got stress or glaucoma, you know, it's all for you. Or just a couple hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Scott Parkin, thank you so much. And uh, again, uh, if you want to reach out to Scott, you can uh, check him out on social media. You can go to cgravyatme.com and email him directly. And again, uh, don't forget to mention the Middle Class VO podcast. And uh, Scott is going to generously uh, give you a little bit of break on the rates. So uh, much appreciated. Also, if I'd, I'd like to promote my daughter's Instagram. She's a marvelous animator and artist and a brilliant voiceover actor. It's at Parkin Art. She's just about to bust 26,000 organic wow. uh, followers. And she's just finished a couple animatics for two different Disney composers. And she's 20. Uh, at 20, wow. I was trying to get people to buy me old English and figure out how the front hooker <laughs> thing worked on a bra. So uh, great. Please jump in there. Also, I'm at, at Instagram at Scott underscore Parkin. You can catch me there or any of the Facebook pages. Got a lot of them. Thank you so much, oh, Scott. What a pleasure. You did not disappoint. <laughs> what a blast, you guys. Thank you so much. Truly a, a really fun time. The Middle Class VO Podcast is a K2 Media Productions production. All views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests. The McVob Jingle was written and produced by Kevin. Co-produced and performed by Chloe Dolandis. Additional engineering by Zach Zimmett. Bobby's Hair and Makeup by Rebecca Adlita. Kevin's Wardrobe by Slippery Pete's Fashion Emporium. All previous episodes are available for download on Podbean. For the Middle Class VO Podcast, I'm Tracy Thibodeau. I'm Lisa Lou Perry. Thanks for listening. And don't miss the next episode of the Middle Class VO Podcast. The Middle Class VO Podcast.